Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we come now into this moment where we open your word, impart truth into our hearts and speak that we would be transformed, that we would go out and live as life, lives of influence. Lord, that more people would come into a living relationship with you. To your glory, Jesus, and in your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. As we conclude today a sermon series we've been in called Influence, several weeks ago we met as a staff and we had Corey and Roxanne and all the pastors in this room and we were going to talk about how do we want to proceed with this this series. And and so leading up to that meeting, Roxanne had printed off a a handout for us to kind of get the the feel of what we were going to be talking about. And so we get into the meeting and uh, so she sits back and says, all right. Let's start this. Like, what is an influencer? And so I thought, man, I'm going to dive in right off the bat. I got this. And so just like a lot of us that we have grown up, we we have seen influencers in our lives that would make sense. You know, like maybe it was that teacher that spoke to you or that coach that you had. It was, he, he really made an impact. Maybe it was your parent or a grandparent, somebody that really influenced you. So I was going on and on and on. And Roxanne was just sitting there like this with her arm, like blank confusion. Like she goes, did you, did, did you even look at the, the thing? Like, and I'm like, uh, and I grabbed it and I looked at it. And I'm like, yeah, I looked at it. And she's like, hey, let me tell you what this is. Influencer has come to be, uh, have a different meaning now in our culture that it doesn't mean, yes, it, it means this, but it's, it has a new connotation. And so as we began to talk, I began to understand that there's a new definition. And maybe you've seen this this out there. An influencer now in this culture could be called an individual who has the power to affect the purchase decisions of others based on their authority, knowledge, or relationship with their audience. It began to make sense. I'm like, yeah, we run into these people every day if you're online, if you're on social media. You see, maybe there's a content creator that uh, is doing a thing on camping, and they're like, I really like this certain tent, and you're like, I got to go get that tent. And so, like, you, you're influenced by if, to make purchases. Maybe it's on Facebook or on, on Instagram or somewhere that there's people that are creating content, and they're influencing people, and why are they effective? It's because they're so, they're authentic, they're real, like we can connect with them. It's, it's the new influencers. I was like, okay, I get this. And as I began to think about this in this message, I believe, though, that God, for every one of us in this room today, he says, I want to to call you back and to to realize that you are an influencer, that you may not have a a, a Facebook or a TikTok account where you're out there on Insta and doing all this, but you are an influencer. People are watching your life, your your kids, maybe you're a teacher in a classroom and you've got a bunch of people that you're influencing. And so this morning, I believe that God's calling us back and he says, I want you to understand what it means to be an influencer, that, that to grasp this big idea, this big thought this morning is that, that it could be one conversation. It could be one encouraging word. It could be one one expression of love that changes somebody's life forever. The 
you were speaking to them. Maybe you take just a moment to, to talk to someone. Maybe it could be that somebody needs a word of affirmation and you speak that or you do a selfless act of love and you might just change somebody's life on this side of heaven, but also for all of eternity. And so this morning, I think that it's time that, that even though we hear this word influencer, that it's time for the church to reclaim the word influencer in many ways. It's time for us to reclaim the, the meaning of this, this word because God is calling us to go out and to use our influence to make an impact for his kingdom in the world. And so on this Palm Sunday, we're going to look at the greatest influencer in the history of the world, our Savior Jesus, and what he was doing on Palm Sunday, the very first Palm Sunday. Throughout this series, we've used the symbolism of a domino as to represent our influence. And you've seen this, and, and some of you have picked these up. We have them out on the connection counter on your way out if you want to grab one. And what this is, is you can put it in your pocket and you're out doing your thing, shopping, whatever you're doing, and you can feel it. And remember that, you know, I'm not all alone, that my life influences. And, and as I tip and tumble into the people around me, I'm affecting them and how they think and how they see the world. And so this morning on this Palm Sunday, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and how he came to the final week of his life. And he was, he had his hand on that first domino and he was about to push it over into Jerusalem. And it was going to fall through the streets. And it was going to wind its way to the ultimate reason why he came to this planet. We're going to look and learn from his influence today. And the first thing we're going to notice if you're taking notes is the progression of influence. It starts with relationships. Let's go to the text in verse 28. It says, after Jesus said this. He went on ahead up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. You know, I love that God has what I call like signature moves in Scripture. And one of them is, that I love is that God has this move where he's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call something that's going to happen before it happens, and then it's going to take place just to prove that, that I'm God. And I, check this out. He's like, he, like hundreds of years before this Palm Sunday when Jesus is about to walk right in on the, the donkey, the, the prophet Zechariah called it. Back in Zechariah 9, he, he actually says that the Messiah will come riding in on the colt of a donkey. And he called it. It's awesome. Here it is. Now, Jesus is about to fulfill this prophet from, prophecy from hundreds of years ago. 
This helps me to have confidence and maybe you too as you think about the future and you think, man, there's so much uncertainty in this world. I don't know what's going to happen in, in, in my family and we play the what if game and what if this happens or this diagnosis and, and your heavenly father today, he's saying, sitting back and he says, no, I see the future and I've got it. That's why he says in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. He's already in tomorrow and he sees how it's going to unfold and he's saying, trust me in He's putting it all together. He predicted and he is playing out this prophecy right before their eyes that Jesus, his son, was about to ride into town. Why was Jesus coming to Jerusalem at this particular moment? It was to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. So the city of Jerusalem, Jews were coming from all over the land and it was flooding the city. Like the population was growing as people were, were gathering there. And so here we find Jesus, he was going there uh, to meet with his disciples and to celebrate this meal with them. And every time up until this moment in Jesus's ministry, if you think about it, uh, when he would heal somebody or he was out with the people and he would say, hey, keep that to yourself right now. You remember he would say like, don't tell anybody yet because my hour has not yet come. Can you imagine like if you're the, one of those paralyzed guys like all your life and then all of a sudden you're healed by Jesus you're like just cruising it into town and your friends go, hey, what happened to you? Like, can't talk about it. Like, hey, what, who did that? No, nope. move along, nothing to see here. I mean, here's a guy you can't even speak, but now Jesus says, my time, my hour is coming. I'm about to start the dominoes cascading forward. And so Jesus is about to enter into the the city, and just like he had, he had entered this city many, many times before. Every other time, though, he had walked into the gates with his followers. This time was different. He said, "I'm going to ride in on a colt." Why? It was like his life dream. Like, I'm going to ride a colt. And no, it's that I am going to fulfill a prophecy, and I'm going to show, and I'm going to send a message that I am coming in as the Messiah. And so as he begins to ride in, it says the momentum begins to build. The crowd begins to gather. Little by little, the voices are crescendoing and, and the excitement is building. If you can see the scene before you, as I think about this story, I think, man, it's so isn't it cool how Jesus gave such detailed instructions to his followers? He says, when you go into the certain town, you're gonna find this colt tied up at this certain place. And when they ask you, say, hey, the Lord needs it. Wouldn't that be great if we had that kind of like detail from Jesus every day? Like we wake up, get some coffee, go to the, the table, sit down and Jesus is there. He's like, hey, good to see you. Today, you're gonna um, go to the bakery you're gonna run into a guy in a red shirt and he's gonna offer you a job, you're gonna take it. Then you're gonna leave there and your car won't start. But across the street, there's a, there's a Lexus dealership. And so I want you to walk over there and the first car you come to, just open the door, there'll be some keys in there. And, and, and then if somebody says, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? The Lord needs it. He is concerned about the details of our lives. And so now the crowds are gathering and they are celebrating Jesus. Why? 
were they so drawn to him? He had spent his ministry three years investing into the lives of people through the power of the Spirit, bringing healing. He was feeding people. He was raising the dead. He was bringing hope. He was sharing compassion, and people connected with him. In the Gospels, there's basically four chapters that talk about Jesus's life in the first 30 years or so, but then there's about 85 chapters that cover what he did in his final three years. And it talks about all these relationships that he was building and the lives he was impacting. And Jesus, he had compassion on people and he spent time among people. He spent time in their homes. I heard a psychologist once say that the word love is spelled T-I-M-E. Jesus was loving people, spending time and investing in relationships. That's where influence starts. Years ago when I was growing up, maybe you heard of this guy. Uh, There was a piano player. He's a concert pianist, studied at Juilliard, incredible uh, talent. He wrote a lot of stuff, but he was a Christian artist, and so he combined his skills with the gospel music, and his name was Dino. Dino, you remember this guy? He was like real flashy, like the sequence and all this, but the, the guy could legit play the piano. He was very talented. Back in the 80s, my parents heard he was coming to Dallas on, to do a concert over at Prestonwood Church there, and they were like, let's go over. I'm like, okay. I'm like 11 years old, blown away watching this guy concert. After it was over, he was kind of down at the front talking to people. My mom was like, let's go down and say hi. I'm like, no. And so she drug me down there and like, what do I say? And she's like, Dino, this is my son. He plays the piano. He studied for a couple of years. He gets down on one knee. He's like, you play the piano? I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, would you play something for me? I'm like, I don't know. And so mom, help. And so he takes me up and she goes, play that little song you've been writing. And I had like a little song in the key of C, no sharps or flats, you know, something like three chords or something. And I, I start playing it and I'm just going along and pretty soon I feel this presence behind me and I look up and there's, there's Dino back there and he's like, no, keep playing, keep playing. He stretches his arms on the high notes and the low notes around me and he begins to, he had been watching and analyzing the chords and the rhythms and like he's starting to play with me and we're just going and people are gathering around like, what is this? And it was so amazing and after it was over, he, people, he looked at him and he said, this young man will be a fine piano player someday and I remember thinking, wow, Lord, like, how did he do that? I got to learn this. And in, in this moment, Dino, he, he inspired me to go to another level just because he had taken the time. And I believe that, that Dino, he understood this concept. It could be one conversation. It could be one word of encouragement, one expression of love that could change somebody's life for the rest of their life. And he took the time. So now we see Jesus. He says, I'm on a mission to change things. I'm about to ride in here, on, and, and I'm going to impart some change on the scene. He was riding in on a donkey's colt. Why is this significant? In the culture of this, this time period, if a, if a 
tribal leader or somebody came into another uh, community. They were riding on a donkey. It was a sign of peace, and I'm extending a treaty of peace. But if they came in on a a horse, it was a different symbol. It was the symbol of of violence, and war is about to break out. And so Jesus is saying, I'm coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? Because it's time for peace. I'm bringing my peace to you. That's at the heart of Jesus, is to bring peace. He was misunderstood, but let's look at this next point, the motivation of Jesus' influence is to seek and to save the lost. His motivation is to come in peace. Let's listen to verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There was a prominent Jewish historian that you might have heard of named Josephus. He wasn't a biblical writer, but he was a a historian at the time, and he he captured what was going on in the culture, and and there was other Roman historians that were writing as well. And as we piece together what they were writing, we can find that this first Palm Sunday when Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem happened approximately in the year, on April the 6th of the year 30 A.D., April 6, 30 AD, and it was also called the 10th of Nisan. The 10th of Nisan, and what is this? It's in the Jewish calendar, you know, the month of April, it's like called Nisan. And so the 10th of Nisan, like, okay, what does all this mean? Well, here's what it means. It's on the 10th of Nisan in this culture. It was called the day of presentation. As they near Passover, the Jewish families would go to the temple to receive a lamb, a living little lamb that they would use in the Passover meal. And so the priest, they would present the lamb and the family would take it home and nurture it for four days. And then on the 14th of Nisan, they would, they would slaughter the lamb. They would sacrifice it for the meal on Thursday. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, he says... I'm coming in to Jerusalem on the day of presentation. And I'm coming to present myself now. No longer will you need all the lambs and all the sacrifices. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he presents himself on this day so that all would know. And Jesus, he rides in and the John, the writer of the gospel, says that the crowd began to shout Hosanna, and that means, Lord, save us. And they were waving palm branches, and they sang this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Where did they get that phrase? Like, how did they come up with this? They were flashing back to Psalm 118. It was a messianic psalm. It was a psalm that that the Jewish people knew that proclaimed the coming Messiah. And so now they are singing about Jesus. And so the religious leaders, they are not amused with this. 
They're, they're like, hey, wait, what are y'all, you're putting this, you're calling Jesus the Messiah. And so they go to Jesus, they say, like, rebuke your followers and tell them to, to quiet this down. No, Jesus, he said, I'm gonna push on through. I'm going on, why? We learn in Matthew chapter 24 that the religious leaders had hoped that they could quiet this whole Jesus thing down and, and they wanted to wait till after the Passover was over when the crowds had gone away and everything had died down to, to deal with this little Jesus situation. But Jesus wasn't having it. He was, gonna, he was forcing their hand. He says, I'm coming out, and now is my time. And this is it. I'm, I'm forcing it on the line now that the world will know that I have come. As he wrote on in this celebration, you can hear the, the cheers. But I want you to see an incredible contrast in this scripture right here. In verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what does it say? He wept over it. Here's a contrast. We have a, a cheering crowd, Hosanna, and then we've got a crying Savior, a cheering crowd and a crying. Why was Jesus crying? There's two instances in scripture where we hear about Jesus shedding tears and that you remember the first one, the shortest verse in the Bible, what is it? Jesus wept. Yes, he goes to Lazarus' tomb. He's, he's heartbroken and, he, and this word in the language talks more about a quiet crying, like it, tears were just flowing. It was an introspective, personal moment Jesus was having in his own grief. But this word in the language here in this story of Palm Sunday, as he looked at Jerusalem, it was the word lamentation, that he was crying verbally and people could hear him and, and they saw in him his heartbreak over the city in front of him. So Jesus, he's crying because he looks around him, but he also looks ahead of him. He looks around him and he sees a fickle people. He sees a double-minded people that on one day they're shouting Hosanna and he knows that in a few days many of these people will join in the chorus of crucify him, crucify him. And so he's saddened as he looks into the hearts of these people how quickly they will turn on me. He's thinking he, he this morning is looking into to your heart and he looks into my heart. He knows all about our misaligned motives. He knows about our stubbornness and about our tendency to, to desert him and to deny him when the stakes are on the line. He knows that there's so many times when we seek out the glory of what people can give us rather than to just serve under the radar and seek the glory of the Lord. But he sees all of this, this in our hearts and in, in, in spite of all of this and because of all of this. Our Heavenly Father says, I'm gonna send Christ. I'm gonna send my son on the donkey to ride in, into town. And even in the midst of all of the lack of our lovable qualities, God says, I love you. I love you. And I'm gonna start the dominoes falling through the city of Jerusalem as they wind their way all the way up to the, to the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull, where his own son would be executed for you, for you. 
this procession on Palm Sunday was, was basically a death march. No, it, it wasn't a march that, that ended in death. It was a march that went through death and into life. And today your Savior says, for all who believe in me, you're going to follow in my procession. And I'm going to lead you through death. And I'm going to lead you into the eternal presence of your loving Father. He marched the way to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He was moved with compassion as he looked around at the heartache around him. And then he looked into the future ahead of him and he saw the urgency on the horizon. The last thing is the urgency of being an influencer is to realize this, that eternity is on the line. Verse 43, the days will come, Jesus says, upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So in this moment, Jesus is looking ahead and he said, what does all this mean? It's, he's saying there's coming a day of judgment upon you and, and what he was seeing in the immediate for them and they were in the year around 30 AD that he saw just a mere 40 years later in 70 AD that the Romans would come in and, and they would raise the temple down. They would destroy it and they would take the Jews and they would slaughter Jews and many of them were thrown over the walls of the city, the, their corpses, and they couldn't even deal with them. There was a great, great destruction. You can go back and research it in history. Jesus, his heart was breaking because he knew some of these people in this parade might even be there that very day that that's gonna happen and his heart was breaking. He says, if you only knew, if you only knew, if you saw the urgency that you need to, to follow me because here's, here's the truth is that he knew dying a horrible physical death, that was one thing. But even worse was to, to die a spiritual death of separation from our loving heavenly father who wants to spend eternity with us. Does your heart burn for people around you that don't know Christ? He's calling you to be an influencer. He says, I've called you by faith and I laid my life down and now you're my child, but it doesn't stop there. I need you to partner with me and be my influencer. Listen to what Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians about that very thing. He says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like what is this? Reconciling is bringing two parties back together and finding a peace. And that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And listen to this phrase, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's making his appeal through you and through me and through your mouth and mine and through your life. And as people watching, it's like God himself is trying to speak his message and call people when he's using you as 
an influencer. And so this morning, let me ask you this very personal question that I want you to consider this week is how will you respond? How will you respond to his call of action? Next Sunday is Easter Sunday and you have a great way that you can put this into action this week. First thing I want you to consider in your prayer time in, in the next day or two is to, to pray about this and say, God, would you bring one person or one family or somebody I work with in school to my mind this week that, that I can invite to come to Easter Sunday. You know, Easter is probably the, the easiest place to ask somebody. It's like the most attended besides like Christmas Eve service. So this is a great opportunity. And then the second thing would be, would you commit to invite that person to come? Next Sunday, out at the connection counter, we have some Easter cards that you can pick up to invite people. It has the times of our services and, and when all that is. And you can take one of these, take some to work, to the coffee shop, wherever, leave them. Let's invite people. Let's influence people to come experience his grace. You say, I don't know about this, man. I'll do that when I get my life all together someday. God says, hey, no, you don't have to wait. You're a work in progress. I've come not to, to so that you would just be perfect and have every chapter and verse memorized and, the, and, and say things perfectly. I put my treasure in you, as John preached, says, into a jar of clay so that you can show through your life, your authenticity, the power of Christ's ability to redeem you. And so he's saying, you're an influencer you say, well, what if they don't come back? What if they don't come next Sunday? You know what? Many of them might not, but it might be two years down the road from now and they show up. Here's the truth about influence is that a lot of times influence isn't immediate. The influence isn't just the obvious all the time. There's many parents who've been on their knees praying for their children who've been away from the faith for years and years. And, and, and God says, don't give up. Stay on your knees, keep it going. You may not see the fruit of this now, but keep it up. You are an influencer and I've called you to live a life of influence because here is the truth, church, that one conversation, that one word of encouragement, one expression of love might just change somebody's life on this side of heaven, but for all eternity. Go now and live as his influencers to his glory in the name of Jesus, amen.